We love to hear the applause of people. Right there, right there. I love it, I love it. Bring it on, Mark. No, no, no. Uh, When you hear the rest of the sermon, you're gonna. But there's something about that affirmation, that support, that clapping of the crowds uh, that does something to us. Sometimes we long for that. It's the stuff that dreams are made of and sometimes even great movies. One of my favorite movies of all time, and this is gonna date me a little bit, is a movie from 1993, Rudy. Do we have some Rudy fans out there? Yes, look at that, more clapping. I love the movie Rudy, because it's this underdog that wants to play football for Notre Dame, but he's got some serious things to overcome. One, he's not smart enough and he doesn't have the grades to get into Notre Dame. And if even that were true, he doesn't have the money to go to Notre Dame. And if that weren't bad enough, he doesn't have the talent as a football player to play at Notre Dame. But it's this story of perseverance. And he works and works and works just to get onto the practice squad for Notre Dame. And when he gets to the end of his senior year, he's won the hearts of his teammates because of his hard work and his perseverance. And he's gonna be given this gift, this opportunity just to wear a jersey on game day, just to be on the sidelines. But his teammates, they want him to see the field. Let's watch this little clip from Rudy. Go get it, kid! 
You want to watch the movie now, don't you? And I, I, I won't point you out, but uh, there were some guys I could just see getting a little misty. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. The applause of people. Do you crave the applause of people? That affirmation, that acknowledgement, that appreciation, that approval from the world around you. Who do you want that from? Who do you want applause from? Your boss, your friends, your coworkers, your colleagues, your spouse, maybe your kids, your congregation, a stadium full of people. Who is it that you want approval from? Here's what I believe to be true, is that in every one of us, there is a hunger for applause in our heart. If we were to be able to pull out our heart and put an EKG machine on it to measure this, whether it's little or whether it's big, every one of us desires the applause of people. But the question is, whose applause are you seeking in life? Who is your audience in life? See, as Jesus is teaching now in this Sermon on the Mount, the thing that we're talking about every week is he's talking to us about our heart. He's talking about taking our heart out and looking at it and evaluating what is happening inside of our heart. It seems like he's not even so concerned about external behavior modification as he is understanding what is happening in your heart. I think that's why the writer of Proverbs would say in Proverbs chapter four, above all else, more than anything in the world, he says, guard your heart. Watch the things that are going into your heart and pay attention to the things that are coming out of your heart because he says, this is gonna determine the course of your life. What is happening in our heart? Jesus is saying, pay attention more to your heart than even your behavior. Up until this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been talking about some sin issues in our life. Talking about anger in our heart that can lead to murder. He's talking about lust that can grow in our heart that leads to adultery. He's talking about hatred toward our enemy that can lead to not loving them the way that Jesus would want us to love them. What he's doing in this section that we're gonna go into today is he's taking all of these behaviors, these outside things, and he's talking about not just sinful things, now he's gonna start talking about righteous things, good things that we can do. And he's gonna take those righteous things and filter them through our motivations. And we're gonna have to honestly ask the question, not just what is my behavior, what am I doing, but why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I doing it for? And the question that we've gotta ask over and over, who's my audience? Who's my audience? Who am I seeking to applaud me in life? And Jesus now gives us a serious warning as he continues in the Sermon on the Mount that we've got to look at our heart even when we're doing righteous things or good deeds. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse one. He starts out with, watch out, warning, be careful, pay attention. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, 
for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. But he says, when you give to someone in need, and Jesus is just assuming that as followers in his kingdom, that that's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be about meeting the needs of people in our life. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. What Jesus is gonna tell us is that if we wanna do deeds of righteousness, we need to do them with a pure heart. And there's some things that we need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to the posture of our good deeds. We need to pay attention to the publicity of our good deeds, and we need to pay attention to the purpose of our good deeds. First, posture. What is our posture? Let me remind you what verse two said. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Commentators don't come to any conclusions together on, is Jesus talking about an actual activity that took place? Did they actually blow trumpets in the temple? Or was this maybe even them dumping large quantities of coins into the treasure chest that would make this loud noise that would draw attention to themselves? Or is he just trying to talk about something that is absurd? Like, why would you do something that showy to draw attention to yourself? I'm imagining that if he were talking to us today, he would say something like, when you give, don't stand up on the stage at Journey with a big publisher's clearinghouse type check and wave it around for everybody to see. Because for one, you just look like an idiot when you do that. But he's saying, don't do that. That is absurd. Another way that I think he would say it is, when you give, when you meet the needs of people, don't toot your own horn. Do we want to have our horn tooted? Sometimes. One of the most challenging things ever about teaching the Bible is that you've always got to continually ask the question, God, what do you want to say to me about what Jesus is saying here? And he's very, very willing to show me what is really happening in my heart. A while back, I had the opportunity where I just felt prompted that there was a need out there and I just felt like prompted to Meet that need. And I, I, I want to be really, really clear. It was not an extravagant gift by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't extremely sacrificial, but it was just a gift. And I didn't really think much of it. But then as time went on, it came back around to me where someone came up to me and said, hey, I heard about Journey doing this for so-and-so. And you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? It wasn't Journey. It was me giving credit to all of you for something. It was me. I'm the one who gave it. I wanted my horn tooted. And in that moment, just when that thought went across my mind, I just thought this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
We want to have our horn tooted. And here's what Jesus says. When you want your horn tooted, you know what you are? It's an ugly word. I hate this word. You're a hypocrite. He said, Bob, when you want your horn to be tooted, you are a hypocrite. Because as we've been talking about this whole Sermon on the Mount, he's been talking about this heart and external behavior match up. There's a complete congruency between what is happening in our heart and our external behavior. But a hypocrite, those two things are out of sync with one another. The things that are happening out in public don't match the things that are happening in private. In fact, that word hypocrite in the Greek word world was used to talk about an actor, a masked actor that saw the world as a stage and I just get to project out to the world whatever I want to project to them, not a reality of what's happening. And Jesus is saying, that's who we are when we want to toot our own horn. What was striking to me was that this word, 17 times in the New Testament, it's used always by Jesus. Nobody else uses this word because hypocrisy, a life that isn't authentic, that doesn't match up, it drives him crazy. And that's why as he addresses this issue, he's saying it's no small thing. Watch out. Pay attention to what is happening in your heart. And it's so subtle, friends. Even a great deed, a good deed, a righteous act can be transformed into hypocrisy in God's eyes when there's something in us that wants to draw attention to ourselves. when we want to toot our own horn. I love how Spurgeon said it. He said, when we hold a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other, that is the posture of hypocrisy. And Jesus said, don't do it. Don't do it. Your heart needs to match the outside. And oh, our heart can be so subtly deceitful to us. But Jesus doesn't just warn us about what we do publicly for others to see. He actually makes a little bit of a transition now and starts to talk with us about things that only we can see we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of the publicity of our good deeds, not just for others, but what we see as well. As he continues in Matthew 6, 3, he says, but when you give to someone in need, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Our giving our generosity, our seeking the needs of people, Jesus is saying it needs to be shy. There needs to be a level of secrecy, a level of hiddenness there. But so often we think that it's just about hiding it from others. When Jesus gives this illustration, he's talking about you need to hide it from yourself as well. He says when your right hand is giving to someone, our right hand, our strong hand, that would move towards someone. He says, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. He's trying to say, don't be self-conscious about the things that you're doing to bless others. Because what Jesus knows is our hearts are so easily moved from self-consciousness to self-righteousness. Maybe nobody else saw it, but even in my own heart, look at me. Look at what I did. I love how Tim Keller said it. He said, when that left hand comes around and sees our right hand, we are so tempted to start doing this. We just want to start clapping. 
Maybe nobody sees it, but we see it. There needs to be a hiddenness, even from ourselves. I love this picture of hiddenness that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25. Very sobering text of scripture because he's talking about the final judgment, separating the sheep from the goats, those who are gonna spend eternity with him and those who are not. And as Jesus starts to talk about who are those people that are gonna spend eternity with him, he's talking about the people that do what he said here, that meet the needs of others. And Jesus says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And as he's talking about this group of people, what did they say back to him? Did they say, yeah, we did. Didn't we do a great job? No, this is what they say back. They're like, what? When? When did we even do that? And Jesus said, that which you did for the least of these, you did for me. It's this picture of self-forgetfulness. They were just doing what the king asked them to do. Not thinking about a reward for themselves, just doing what he asked them to do. Self-forgetfulness. A beautiful picture of the left hand and the right hand not paying attention to each other and not being self-conscious. Now, I imagine that there's some Bible scholars out there right now, and you're thinking, I got a question about this whole hiddenness thing. Because it seems to me, you've been teaching this Sermon on the Mount, it seems to me like there was a time just one chapter ago where Jesus was saying something exactly the opposite. When he was talking about us being salt and light, didn't Jesus say something completely contradictory? Verse 16 of chapter five. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Good point. How do we get around that? What is Jesus talking about here? Really, he's just looking at two different types of sin that our hearts can be prone to. Back in chapter five, he's talking about that propensity that we have toward cowardice, that we want to hide who Jesus is in our life, who God is in our life, that sense of cowardness because we're afraid of what people will think. Whereas what he's talking about in chapter six is he's talking about that heart tendency toward pride, where we're gonna make things about us. We want people to applaud us. Now, there's a place where those two sins overlap, and those sins overlap in the fact that we can be way too conscious of what people think. It can cause us to hide when God would say, shine, and it can cause us to try to shine the light on us when God would say, hide. You need to be hidden. Salt and light, there's something unique about what they do, and Jesus highlights it here. They actually point to something else. Salt and light point to something else. I love corn on the cob. Love me some corn on the cob. I can't imagine eating corn on the cob without salt. Wouldn't do it. But when I'm eating corn on the cob, 
I'm never commenting on the salt. Wow, that salt is amazing. I'm talking about the corn on the cob. The salt just highlights and points to something else. The same way light shines on something and points to the beauty of something else. That's what Jesus is saying, salt and light. They point to something else. That's why he says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. There's a way that we shine that points to him and not to us. It's our left hand and right hand not knowing what the other is doing. And lastly, Jesus says, you need to pay attention. You need to look at your heart and pay attention to the purpose of your good deeds. That's where, friends, I think we've got to come back and really answer this question. Who is my audience? Really? Really, who is my audience? Because since the fall of man and women, from the very beginning of the Bible, our problem is that we want to put ourselves in the center of the universe, not God. God's kingdom, it is intended that he would be at the center and everything revolves around him. But when we get to the place where we want to be in the center, that makes us judge of people. That makes us evaluator of people. And when we live in that kind of environment, it makes us think, I want to have the opinions of people managed more than I want the opinions of God managed in my life. We start to pay attention to the wrong thing. We need to have an audience of one, just one. He is our only audience. Because when we get to that place where we're just looking for the applause of people around us, here's what God says. He said, I'm just gonna back away and let you do your thing. I love you and I want to reward you, but when you're looking for that, you're gonna receive your reward in full. This is all you're gonna get. God says, it doesn't concern me. You're not thinking about me. God would say, you need to have an audience of one. Who is your audience? Whose praise do you really long for? Is it the people around you? Or do you try to imagine the praise of God? What is it that is praiseworthy to him? Do you fear the opinions of people around you? Or do you fear God, a holy God? Do you imagine yourself one day standing before people, giving an account for your life? Or do you imagine yourself standing before God and giving an account for your life. Friends, God wants us to understand he is our audience. And this is what I love about this section of scripture because over and over, Jesus talks about the fact that there is a father who rewards us. Over and over, he's talking about this idea of reward. We've gotta ask the question, what is the reward? Is it money? Is God gonna reward us with money if we do all the right things, popularity? No. Friends, I believe with everything in me, the reward is God himself. When we do the right things for the right reasons, with our eyes on him, we experience him. 
We experience his pleasure in our life. We experience what it's like to be used by him to build his kingdom here on this earth. Friends, that's our reward. That is our reward. But we've got to keep coming back to the question, who is my audience, really? This last week, I had the opportunity to put this to the test. If you were here last week, you know that Chris Townley preached a challenging message. And as I sat there and listened to his message, I knew that it was going to be challenging for people to hear because it was challenging for me to hear. And as the day went on and Monday went on, as I got lots of ripple effects and feedback, lots of texts and emails and interactions with people, there was a place where I just started to think, I am just thinking about people. I'm thinking about what do people think? And it took me until Tuesday, Tuesday morning, before I was able to kind of right the ship a little bit and just put my gaze on God and just say, God, you're my audience. You're my only audience. I'm going to stand before you and you alone. What do you want me to learn from this? And as a, one of the leaders of our church, what do you want our church to learn from this? And I want to say this right out front. Anything that I say right now is not to try to correct or defend what anything that Chris said or did. He's a big boy. He can do that on his own. But what I want to make sure that we leave today, I want to make sure that we heard Chris clearly. And even more important than that, I just want to make sure, did we hear the words of Jesus clearly? Because at the end of the day, friends, it's not about Chris's words or his wardrobe. It's about Jesus's words. What is it that he is saying to us and what are we going to do about it? I did get the chance to talk to Chris after his message, and I had to ask him one really direct question that I needed to have the answer to. I said, did you wear that shirt in any way to endorse, promote, or defend the actions and rhetoric of Colin Kaepernick? Or to place him on a level of, this is an example to follow? And his response was immediately, no, absolutely not. But what is true is that the actions of Colin Kaepernick to some people were so offensive and hurtful that he became the hated enemy. And that's what Chris wanted us to understand. This is the face of the enemy. And as I started to think about it, because lots of people suggested, why did he have that shirt? Why not this shirt or this shirt or this shirt? And I just thought, church, the problem isn't which shirt he wore. The problem is that we've got too many shirts in the church. There's lots of people that we could put their faces on there as the hated enemy. And church, as long as the list of enemies that we hate and we curse and we distance ourselves is long, and the number of enemies that we love and we bless and we move toward is small, we've got work to do. There's things that we need to do. When I look at the, what Jesus shared on the Sermon on the Mount, it just wrecks me. And I started to Tuesday morning, I just said, Jesus, if you were gonna try to do what Chris did during the Sermon on the Mount, what T-shirt would you wear? 
you wanted to capture the heart and the mind of the enemy, and this was the first thing that came to my mind, I think Jesus might have worn this shirt. And I'm imagining for most people in here that this raises little or no emotion because you're saying, who is that? (laughs) But for Jesus' audience, they would know who this likeness was. This is Herod, Herod the Great. Just a few chapters before the very beginning, we read about Herod. We only read about him most of the time during the Christmas story because Herod was the king of the Jews. But he heard that there was a new king of the Jews that was born in Bethlehem. He didn't want there to be a new king of the Jews. He tried to figure out who it was so he could wipe him out, but he got tricked. And so his solution is, I'm gonna kill every little boy in and around Jerusalem, I'm gonna, or around Bethlehem. I'm gonna have them slaughtered. I'm imagining as Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, if they would have seen this t-shirt, there would have been people in that audience that said, that man slaughtered my son. That man slaughtered my little brother. Jesus, when you're talking about enemy love, are you talking about Herod the Great? You can't be talking about Herod the Great. And I believe Jesus would say, yes, yes. Even Herod. Friends, that's why this message of the Sermon on the Mount is so upside down, so counterintuitive to anything that we would naturally do. And what Jesus tried to help us understand is it's easy for us to love people that love us, isn't it? He said the pagans and the tax collectors, they can nail that all day long. They don't even know who I am or what I'm about and they can do that. Because that comes natural. But what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is, I'm not asking you to do what comes naturally. I'm asking you to do what can only be accomplished supernaturally. This can only happen as you allow me to live my life through you in the power of the Holy Spirit, learning my ways, doing the things that I did. It is completely upside down. Can we really love our enemies? Jesus tells us, yes. But he didn't just tell us yes. He showed us. He showed us what it was like to love your enemies on the cross. He wore the t-shirt of his enemies on the cross. You know how I know that Jesus wore Enemy t-shirts on the cross? Because Jesus wore this one. Yeah, just a smiley bald guy. But this was the face of the enemy in God's mind. The enemy, this is how Paul explains the magnitude of what Jesus did to love his enemies on the cross. Romans chapter five, starting in verse eight. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not when we were great, not when we figured it out, not when we got our stuff together, while we were still sinners. 
He goes on, and since we have been made right in God's sight, not by what we did, but by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, when? While we were still his enemies. While we were still his enemies. Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus wore our t-shirt when we were his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. It's upside down. Doesn't make any sense that Jesus would take the penalty that I deserved while I was his enemy. You see, we can look at this. Because of the sin and the evil in this man's heart, innocent, innocent boys were slaughtered. But because of the sin and the evil in this man's heart, an innocent son was slaughtered, willingly slaughtered for us. Friends, that's got to wreck us. That's got to move our heart when we think about the magnitude of what Jesus did for us. We've got to hold up the word of God, what Jesus calls us to, to love our enemies. Because friends, he is our audience of one. And I don't care whether you take what I say seriously or what Chris says seriously, we've got to take what Jesus says seriously. Do we tremble at the word of God and the things that Jesus says to us in here? Because if he's our audience, our audience of one, friends, we will stand before him one day. We need to let his words as revealed in the word penetrate our hearts. I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. He says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This, this holding out our heart and looking at it, let God's word be the one, be what causes us to evaluate our heart. And then he goes on to say, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Audience of one. You're gonna be there by yourself, standing before him. Nobody else. Jesus, what did we do? with your words? Did we tremble at them? Did we take them seriously? Did we get on our face and did we get on our knees and ask God, what does this mean for me? How do I live that out? Church, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. And I wanna give you just a couple of moments right now to do that personally. Jesus, when he finished his Sermon on the Mount, he says the wise person is the one who hears my words and puts it into practice. How does God want you 
to put it into practice. I wanna just give you a moment right now. Would you just ask him, God, what are you saying to me? You're my only audience, God. What are you saying to me? And when I leave these doors, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want my life to be different? Jesus, I just want to say for myself and on behalf of my friends that are here, we take your word seriously. We want to follow you. We want to learn how to live the kind of life that you lived. But we acknowledge, God, that we can't do that on our own. Jesus, you need to live your life through us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Please help us. God, help us be the people that you've called us to be. You are our only audience. We stand before no one on this planet. We stand only before you. We love you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.